Welcome to episode 16 of Traps Lodge. In this episode, we talk about West Texas. Trapper tells some hunting stories as well as some lion tracking stories he has from when he was a young boy, including the time that he was over a cliff getting a dog and a lion and then had to be hoisted back up. So stick around for, as usual, all of the good Trapper stories. We hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Traps Lodge. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we're going to talk about West Texas with Trapper. And Trapper, I've got to ask you, when I say West Texas, what do you think about? When you say West Texas, I think about the Trans-Pecos area of West Texas, which is the Davis Mountains and the Glass Mountains and out in that area down in Big Bend and not like Lubbock or Del Rio, West Texas. So I'm from like Fort Stockton West and... Um, Sanderson West, you know. Okay. I think of tumbleweeds. I saw my first tumbleweed driving to West Texas. Only mm. one I've actually seen, come to think of it. <laughs> um, so what has most of your time in West Texas been spent doing? Most all of my time spent in West Texas is guiding hunters, hunting myself personally, um, doing game capture for both the state and um, for private ranches. And most of the game capture's been um, odd sheep out there. Um, radio collar and pronghorn, radio collar and bighorn. And we did radio collar some odd sheep for the for the state um, Big Bend Ranch. And when you say radio collar, for those who might not know, can you explain that and like the purpose of it? That's just a GPS tracking collar. And the state uses those. Yeah, they use them for oh. Yeah, like up north, they use them for migration routes and stuff. And I guess they try to keep track of those big uh, desert bighorn populations when they move mountain range to mountain range so they can kind of keep an eye on them, so to speak. Okay. So you've got to have some pretty cool stories about West Texas. Um, first of all, it's beautiful out there. The sunsets are gorgeous. Um, but it's very different <laughs> than hill country where you grew up. So... Is the catching and the hunting out there a lot different? Talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, it's a lot different. I mean, the, the elements and the terrain is a lot different. Everything out there just makes you tougher and meaner. I mean, just walking and hiking in that country, you just, you'll wear through a pair of boots in a matter of a month or two. It's just a lot of volcanic rock, and everything's trying to poke you, prod you, bite you, sting you. Just, you know, rattle between the rattlesnakes and the all the different t- cactuses in the wait a minute bushes and so a lot of different fauna and flora than what we're used to in the hill country and your elevation's a lot higher um when you talk about mountains in texas a lot of people can't imagine mountains in texas but if you open your eyes and take the the off beaten path getting south of i-10 and getting down there to the davis mountains and tearing through that uh, fort davis is the highest town in texas i believe and then El Capitan is a big mountain that's north of uh, Van Horn, Texas, and it's the uh, tallest mountain in Texas, I think. Okay, so do you have a favorite town in West Texas, one that's kind of nearer and dearer to your heart than the rest? Oh, I kind of like them all. Fort Davis is a pretty quaint little town. I like it. Alpine, my brother went to school in Alpine, so I spent quite a bit of time there. It's probably the biggest town of West Texas, or that that area. The Gage down there, and where's that... Uh, Marathon is a pretty cool little town. Um, Marfa's a neat little town. 
and I like to just kind of tour through all of them. And it, it's a little bit, it changes a little bit with each uh, setting, with each, with each town. So, and down in Valentine, spent some time down there, down on the Bright Ranch hunting down there. Oh, yeah, and you have a cool story about an old man down there, right? Oh, Henry McIntyre, yeah, I've mentioned him before. He, he was a, one of the best lion hunters of his day back then, other than the McBrides. Out there in West Texas, he, he hunted and killed a lot of cats for private ranchers uh, through his whole life. He moved here from out of state years ago, I want to say up north Illinois or somewhere. And they, uh, that's kind of all he did was just run hounds and hunt lions and trade horses and do a little day work and cowboying here and there. And my dad used to drop me off out there with him and I'd run around and hunt cats with him. And, He'd help me guide all dad hunters and stuff like that. He had access to a lot of country and knew a lot of people, and everybody kind of knew him. And one time there was a mountain lion kind of off down off a cliff, and he he shot it, and then he wanted to lower me. There was a, also there was a dog that got stuck down there on that cliff with that cat, and he lowered me down there with I think two or three lariat ropes tied together, and tied them off to the mule and. I tied the dog up and made her a little harness and he pulled that little hound pup up and then I tied the cat up. He pulled the cat off the side of the cliff and it was, there's no, only way to get to it was from, from the top. There wasn't no option going down. It was like cliffhanger kind of stuff. I like, you didn't, wouldn't need repelling gear. <coughs> he peeked his little head over the side of that cliff and kicked his old dusty cowboy hat back and said, how are you going to get up from there, little old boy, or whatever you call me? And I said, well, you better throw me that rope on, man. I saw I'll hunt you. He said, yeah, I don't want to be looking over my shoulder forever. So he <laughs> threw that rope back down to me and tied it to the horses. And I was just watching that lariat rope go over the edge of them rocks, thinking, you know, all the movies you've seen where it starts, the rope starts to fray and come apart. So I'm like sweating bullets the whole time because... On the little edge I was on, it wasn't bad, but when you start getting off that little edge and the world starts seeing a lot bigger below you, and I don't want to fall. How old were you, Oh, roughly? I mean, I was a teenager. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a kid, and by any means, I don't think I was a kid since I was a kid. That's probably true. So, talk a little bit more about hunting cats, because you mentioned that, and I don't think that a lot of people in Texas, particularly, are maybe that familiar with it, because it's not as big of a thing. As it is maybe up north, but... I mean, hunting cats in, in the south, like in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, you have to have some really, really high-powered, really great cold-nosed dogs because those dogs rely on that moisture uh, to pick up that scent. And it's a really unique way of life. And those houndsmen that are like the McBride family out there that have run cats forever have, and have bred their dogs a certain way and traded dogs, you know, from one end of the earth, the other other to find the right mix of dog. And I've seen all different walks of dogs from plots to walker hounds and everything else out there in that country. And, you know, up north they'll wait on a good snow and they'll go chase cats. But I've, my dad's got some tick rider buddies down on the border that their job's to catch wild cattle and, and quarantine them because of the tick fever down there. And they've, they use plots a lot down there for those cattle and they, They've treated some cats down there on the border with those pots. So South Texas has got a lot of cats, and West Texas has got a lot of cats that move in from Mexico. And I've only seen, I think, maybe two cats in my life that wasn't either from a helicopter or in front of a dog. 
in one of those I shot and killed. He was just laying underneath some shade when we were quail hunting. And I thought, man, that stump's got some funny looking ears. And I kind of thought it was a bobcat laying in that deep, dark shade. It was the middle of the day, and it's by a water hole. And I'd been by there an hour and a half earlier or so. And my quail hunters that were with me, they said, I pulled my little 243 out. And so I'm going to shoot that stump, make sure this rifle's on. And they said, why are you going to shoot that stump for us? I said, man, it just kind of looks, looks out of place. Doesn't, something doesn't fit right. So it looks like it's got ears on it. Well, I shot the stomp and it turned into a big old mountain lion and it rolled around there and ran off in the ravine and died. But that was a pretty decent sized cat. That was just south of Elephant Mountain out there on the way to just south of Alpine. Now, Elephant Mountain's a big uh, state piece of land. They they try to keep the mountain lions and stuff off because they've got a big herd of desert bighorn sheep on Elephant Mountain. Okay, so when you're hunting cats, you let the dogs out and basically they track run them and like then... a coon or pig or anything else if you don't know how do you not know how hounds work i mean anybody that's ever been around a dog gotta know how a hound works i'm asking for the people that might not know <laughs> you, you cut a track you cut a line track either in the snow or in the sand and kick the dogs out or you just take them on a long walk until they cut a track how many dogs um did he have or does like a general like a normal kind of lion hunter most lion hunters will run five or six dogs or more um and like they only have five or six no total? no they may have 20 30 dogs and they rotate them yeah they can get them tired and wore out but a lot of times they'll take an older dog or a, a, a dog that's going to strike a track and let him get started and then kind of start adding to that pack as that track gets hotter and then them dogs kind of take turns running that track. Now, if that track's really fresh and that cat's not very far in front of them, them, them hounds will run that cat up a tree quickly because cats aren't very long-winded. They can't run for long, long periods of time um, real fast. They can keep moving, but if they're on a sprint, they're going to have they're going to get winded pretty quick and, and go up a tree. But now, if they're out ahead of the dogs, you know, half a day or whatever, and it takes them a while to get caught up to that cat and, and make him sprint, make him tree. What's the longest hunt or track that you've been on? I mean, it's... Or all, heard of. All day. Now, my friend Jimmy Owens and Cody, he, I think he was down on the Pathfinder Ranch. He ran one cat two and a half days. He'd run that cat all day long, get dark, he'd gather his dogs, cut the track again the next day, run him all day long, and I think they finally caught him halfway through the third day, and I think that cat was either the new Wyoming state record or close to it. And his big old, big old Tom. And he said he had dogs wore out and he was wore out, but he wouldn't give it up because that, that track that he had cut was so big. He's the biggest one he's ever seen, he said. How does he follow his dogs? He's got GPS collars on them. Okay. And you can, you know, you can hear him barking and baying, but GPS, again, technology has helped the soundsmen a lot too. And you lose a lot of good dogs, you know, cat hunting. They'll get swatted or knocked off a cliff or head crushed in or bit or... You, you'll lose dogs cat hunting and bear hunting, too. You know, guys that run bears in New Mexico and North Carolina with those hounds, you run through a lot of dogs. Do you think that Winnie could be a lion hunter? Definitely not. <laughs> that dog should be lion bait. <laughs> if you want a lion to come to you, you send Winnie out there and watch behind her. And... For those of you that don't know, Winnie, Winnie is our uh, little Jack Russell, and she weighs about, what, like 10 pounds? If, maybe. <laughs> Okay, so um, lion hunting, and then you did a bunch of work with, like, all dad out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
Do you have any cool all dad stories, hunting stories, or capture stories? Yeah, both. So all dad are, are not a native species of Texas. They're actually from the north north hills, north north Red Sea hills of Africa, North Africa, and it's really extremely rough terrain. And they're kind of a unique animal. And it's argumented that they're a goat or they're a sheep, but they're actually their own pure species. They cannot crossbreed with any other type of sheep or goat. And it's still argued whether they are a sheep or they are a goat. Their, their horns, um, to me, look like a sheep. They're a very beautiful, well, I'd say a buckskin color, pretty much. And yeah. they grow a big beard and mane and chaps and this big old hair that comes down in front of them. And they're just an amazing creature to watch crawl up and down those rocks and i was gonna say they 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 can go straight they up go straight almost. up almost yeah it's amazing any of those ibex species and sheep species a lot of them that are from that part of the you know over there in all those stand countries kazakhstan's and pakistan's they're they're amazing like animals to just watch um so the odd ever brought out there i want to say dad told me i think in the 50s but they've since then taken over, and the state has been trying to take them off of uh, all the state land, and they've gunned them out of the helicopters and stuff because they compete food-wise with the desert bighorn that they're trying to have been trying to reintroduce for ages and spend a lot of money doing it. Um, but I've done a lot of AUDAD captures, and we pull a lot of AUDAD out of that country. I don't think you'll ever catch up to them or put a dent in them. There's literally just so many. I mean, I've seen herds, a valley just full of maybe 600 head to 1,000 head. I remember we saw some on our honeymoon. Um, oh, yeah, it was real dry, and they were just right down there along the side of the road. Yeah, they were real close to the Yeah, road. They, were, they were hungry then. That was back, what, what April? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's not really high hopes for you if we haven't even been married a year and you don't remember the month. <laughs> you just have to remind me and I'll remember. <laughs> okay. And then all that hunting, I mean, it's funny. You can work as hard as you want walking after them and hiking after them. Or sometimes you just get lucky and they're right down along the side of the road or getting water, you know, at midday. And they, they love salt. And if you go put out salt or where there's cattle salt, and you can you can kind of fly paper them all add to salt. And uh, the longest shot I made on an odd ad successfully on a trophy ram was um, on a ram running dead away from me or running away from me, turned dead away from me, and I shot him at uh, 525 yards. And I'd ranged the rock that he had to go around before he went around it, and then. Um, Shot him and caught him right kind of in the back of the neck and folded him up. And it, luckily I had witnesses or nobody would have believed it. So Another thing that out there in West Texas is the mule deer, desert mule deer out there. An amazing animal. They blend in so well. They're very hard to hunt. And our season, it's, I think it ends tomorrow, the normal season. It's always around Thanksgiving and the week after. But... The ranchers out there have finally figured out how to take care of them and manage them, and they can. We can feed them in Texas, so we can feed them like we can feed protein feed and take care of them. Yeah, and, I think you touched on that a little bit. And you can get MLD license um, to hunt them and manage them, so that's helped with the mule deer population in West Texas a lot. But keeping the coyotes and the cats off of them is also very important. So they're they're kind of a thin balance out there, and it's just a rough, harsh terrain to to live in and. 
it's hard on every animal and, and they don't get much rain. You know, it's very desert type, high desert type terrain and, and fauna and flora. And <clears throat> there are some wild elk out, out, out there. And some of those elk literally just live on those sage flats and never, you think elk, okay, I could see elk up in the mountains or in the pines up in Fort Davis and they do live there, but you'll, you'll find elk out there in the most random places, you know, down on the middle of a desert flat. And then, you know, javelinas are native to out there and javelinas are kind of a cool animal. They're actually, a lot of people think they're pigs. They're not. They're called the collared peccary. And legally in Texas, you can kill two a year, I believe. And there are some feral pigs out there which are not native to that habitat. Um, a lot of blue quail, scale quail out there. That's always fun. Hunter and I had a quail lease for years at South Elephant Mountain that we, we would um, just go out there and run quail hunts and hunt ourselves. And blue quail is funny. Not a lot of people are successful with dogs with blue quail because that, that terrain's so rough it tears up the dog's feet. So it's kind of like you see a covey, you just kind of got to jump out of the truck and run after them and make them flush because they'll run forever in the brush before they actually get up and fly. So they're kind of a, it's a hard, hard animal, hard bird to hunt. What do you think in your opinion? And I don't think, I mean, I don't know the statistics or anything, but what do you think most people go to West Texas to hunt for? What's like the most popular? You I'd think? say Audad because it's the cheapest free range hunt sheep hunt wild sheep hunt you can do in the u.s and they've gotten more and more expensive but they're still the cheapest on a scale of one to five um with one being like really calm and five being super skittish how skittish are all dad like how oh i'd say like know? an eight or a nine yeah so they're super well they can see forever so if they see you a lot of times they just leave so it's a lot of work to mm, get it is. To and like i said you can get lucky and just come around the corner and bam there's one going up the hill but normally if they're feeling the pressure and they you see them on that hillside you get to that hillside you look up and they're three hillsides away and still running you know this is playing the wind right and playing your everything right with all that and you know getting up and around them and above them is is always tough um, and they're usually not alone you know you find bachelor groups of rams that are still going to have four to six to eight in them but then you'll see those big herds that may be 80 to 100 and so that's that many pairs of eyes looking at you you know so it's you're not just hunting one animal when you're hunting that big group of sheep you're having to, it's a, it's hard work what is considered like a good size all that and what's considered like really big exceptional so I mean, anything really 28 plus would be considered trophy or mature. And the thing is, it takes an audit about eight or 10 years to get to that length. So anything over 30 is, you know, great. That's true trophy. Of course, a lot of people talk about length and don't talk about the, the mass measurements. So I've killed some rams that are 29 and have like 15 inch bases, which is insane um, base. Anyway, so anything over 30 is, you know, exceptional, and especially when you start talking 33, 34-inch sheep, which is a high trophy. I think their record might be close to 39 or 40 now, but there's, I think, only four or five sheep that are over 38 or 37 in the, in the record book. I've caught a handful of 36s and 37s. I've never had a client kill one over 36. That's just an exceptional, exceptional length on, on a sheep like that. I, I say any any sheep in my book that's over 30 and it's got great mass and great chaps in, in Maine, that you like him, kill him. 
So the ones that you caught that were high 30s or whatever, were they old? <coughs> yes. Pretty old? Uh, some of the biologists out there told me some of those rams they estimate might be 12 to 15 years old. Now, you got to remember, a lot of those sheep will start brooming back. And you'll, like, I killed a sheep with a client. I said it was 29, had 15-inch bases. But at the end of the horn, he was... I mean, it was like the size of a banana. It had broomed off that that far. It probably broomed off, you know, five inches of horn. And he was just like slick smooth on the front of that horn. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's also um, pronghorn antelope in West Texas too that are native out there. So there's a lot of species in West Texas to hunt. Is this all stuff you can see just driving through West Texas or do you mm -hmm. have to be like on a ranch? No, you you can see it off the side of the road. No, I mean, I'm, I've seen elk cross the road. I've seen antelope off the side of the road. I've seen audad running across the road, mule deer, javelina. <coughs> I like making that road trip kind of like what we did, going to Fort Davis and then Marfa and then down to like Presidio and down the river road over to Terralingua. What was before Terralingua, that little town? Mm. Lajitas. And then Terralingua, then back up to Alpine, and then um, kind of that little circle, and going either down 90, uh, going home, so you can go through, San, um, where's the gauge? Marathon. Marathon, and then Sanderson, and then go home through like Del Rio, like all the way down the river, and it was pretty, pretty cool to drive. We stopped by the Judge Roy Bean Museum and Comstock out there. We did. Mm-hmm. But West Texas is different. It's it's changing. Um, it's rough and it's hard country to make a living in. It's it's hard country to hunt. It, the weather can be really brutal. Um, you can get some snow and ice storms out there that'll just really just <laughs> chill you to the bone and shut you down. And high winds and stuff like that. But it is uh, it's its own rugged beauty. Yeah, I am um, today actually. I was on Facebook randomly and came across a group that is called, it's something like it's called the names of all the towns. So it mm -hmm. doesn't have an actual name, but um, it's anyone that's interested in that area can post like sunset pictures or mm. vacation rentals or just cool photos and stuff. And some of the sunset pictures I saw on there were unbelievable. Mm. I mean, just the sky out there is yeah, that so does, crazy. The desert sky is definitely different. You know, a lot of people just get on I-10 and drive through it and don't ever think about what's what's really out there, you know? And you tell them there's mountains, they don't believe you until you take them on a nature hike and then they believe you. Yeah, and a lot of people go to Big Bend, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Big Bend's a, a lot. It's and... visited a lot. I think we looked it up on the National Park. I don't know if it's not as visited as much like Yellowstone, but it's, a lot of people go out there and visit it. Oh, there's some black bears out there too, native black bears. Um, black bears are not hunted in Texas legally anymore. Um, I don't know how long it's been closed, probably since the 50s or 60s, but there is a, a good population of, of black bears. And how they make a li how they live out there, I don't know. It's just so desolate and arid and, it's, you know, it's fertile country when it gets rain, but that's very seldom, and it's just harsh, harsh country. Yeah, very but dusty. Be but beautiful. Well, this is true. So if anyone was going to go to West Texas... First time ever, where should they start? What should they do? Well, What's first, a must do? First off, you got to go to Alpine, and you got to go to Big Ben Salary, Salary, and you got to see what a real cowboy rigging looks like. 
and then you need to go to the Crystal Bar and have a beer. And then, you're, then you can go out from there to Fort Davis and Marfa and Presidio and all over wherever, but you need to go to home of Soros University in Alpine, Texas, and as soon as you hit that town, you, you just... It's called Big Bend Saddlery. Mm-hmm. That's where we went where they were making mm-hmm. Yeah, they make, make saddles there, yeah. Oh, and so it's been around for forever. Yeah, it's a great leather shop, and they sell a lot of great products there and make a lot of great products there. So. Yeah, it was a neat little um, kind of all-around just cool old store. Yeah, and they've got some really good books about West Texas there too. So if you're interested in learning about the history of West Texas and the families that ranch there, um, like the Brights and the – it's uh, – Ot Six is out there. That's a really big ranch. There's some really, really big ranches out there. The Long X, all those ranches that are, you know, I'm talking big ranches like 90 to 90,000 to 200,000 acre ranches. Yeah, if you ever get bored, just Google the history of ranches in West Texas. We did that on our honeymoon, mm-hmm. and it was phenomenal. The stories you read and just, you know, everything. Yeah. So. And a lot of a lot of movies have been filmed out there too. So it's kind of neat, neat to learn up on, read up on. Yeah, so... It's just funny because Texas is so diverse um, from East Texas where it's swampy and rains all the time and the coastline that uh, West Texas, we've kind of got it all, you know? Yep, Texas is very diverse for sure. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to Traps Lodge. Enjoy it and catch you next time. Thanks, we'll see you next time.